I like that, and, and uh, so excited to preach to you tonight. Acts chapter 17, I'm not going to keep you long, and I mean that tonight. And uh, I recently had a friend of mine tell me he's a missionary. Actually, it's the same missionary who's going to the country of Chile. He said, Brother Zach, let me give you a word of wisdom as a missionary who has been uh, uh, already through deputation and on the field. He said, here it is, preach short, get support. <laughs> and so I said, all right. And... Uh, I've tried to abide by that uh, throughout our deputation, and, uh, and I, I appreciate the opportunity to preach. And I heard about a church who, uh, uh, I hadn't told this one in a while, my wife, she says, you tell that one all the time. But I'm in different churches all the time, so I can do that. And uh, I heard about a church, it was their custom. Every time they let out for a service, they'd go to the back, and they had coffee pots brewing back there, and they'd just have a time of coffee and fellowship. And that sounds pretty good to me. I love coffee. And, uh, but this church had that. That was their thing that they did. And, and, uh, and the, the story goes that one night they were sitting back there on a Sunday night. And they began to ask, does anybody know how this tradition started or why we even do this? Why do we gather in the foyer and drink coffee before we go home? And before anybody could say anything, one of the young people spoke up and said, oh, that's so we can wake up after the pastor's preaching before we go home. <laughs> and so hopefully, hopefully the Lord will help us tonight. You won't have to to wake yourself up after the service is done. Acts chapter 17 tonight in verse number 1. And I'll preach fast, you listen fast this evening. The Bible says in verse number 1, let's stand together. Uh, if you don't mind, please, out of the respect for the reading of God's Word, to give you the opportunity to stretch your legs. Acts chapter 17 in verse number 1, the Bible says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. Notice this, verse 2. And Paul, as his manner was, now, if you highlight your Bible or underline in your Bible, you ought to underline that part as his manner was. Paul went in unto them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. Notice verse four. And some of them believed. And consorted with Paul and Silas and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. You can be seated tonight. And I want to take a few moments quickly this evening. If you'll just give me, you know, 25 minutes here, we'll get to the end of this message. But I want to take a few moments tonight and preach on this subject by the Lord's help. I want to preach on a renewed burden. A renewed burden. Let's bow in prayer. Father, what a joy it is to be in your house tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to be here with your people, and I have enjoyed myself tonight, and I thank you for every uh, acquaintance I was able to make before the service. Thank you for this dear pastor and for these men who, who have so graciously welcomed us into the service tonight. I pray you bless them, Lord, and I do pray, God, that you just give them the desires of their heart. I pray, God, that you would help us as we preach tonight to be an encouragement to this man of God and to his people. And I pray, God, you'd give us open, uh, open ears tonight and open hearts to receive the word. Help us not, Lord, to only hear the word. But I pray that we would heed the word that is preached tonight. God, help me now as I preach. Fill me with the Holy Spirit of God. I desire, Lord, to be filled. And I cannot stand and be effective in preaching tonight, lest you come and you anoint me with your power. So I pray that you touch me and use me. God, anoint the listeners. Help them to hear the words and heed the words that are preached, we pray. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. 
Amen and amen. I want to quickly jump into this message tonight, and, and I like to, in this message, I like to say that I'm going to take a Google Maps approach to this message, all right? And uh, I'm sure most of you are familiar with Google Maps, and you know, it's interesting, on Google Maps, you can, you can zoom all the way out to a picture where you can see the entire globe. Have you ever done that? It's pretty neat. You can see the entire globe, and it's, it's kind of general, but it's really awesome. But then, I thought about this, on Google Maps, you can just with the use of two fingers, you can zoom in uh, down to see a, a picture, uh, even a satellite image of the United States of America. And that's pretty awesome to do that. But you know what? You can zoom in a little further and you can see a picture uh, of the state of North Carolina. But then you can go a little further and you can zoom in a little more. And you could go all the way down to the city of Granite Falls, North Carolina on Google Maps. But you know what else is interesting, Pastor? They have something else called Street View. And uh, it's a wild thing, man. You can go on there now and you can type in your address and hit enter. And you know what it'll do? It'll take you and put you right on the sidewalk of your neighborhood where you house, uh, where your house is and where you live. And you know what I thought about tonight? I want to start on a, on a global scale tonight. But by the time we walk out of this building tonight, I pray that God the Holy Spirit will zoom all the way down right into your heart tonight. And that God will do a work in your heart this evening. The way I like to start this particular message is by just saying that I thank God for His Word. It don't, isn't it an amazing thing to think that we have a copy of the preserved Word of God? I mean, it's an amazing thing. Pastor, I saw something the other day on social media that just was uh, uh, just blew my mind, man. Uh, these believers in China who never have had the joy and the privilege of holding a copy of the Word of God in their hand. They've only had little bits and pieces of the Scripture. Somebody uh, was able to sneak in a case of Bibles into the country of China there. And I watched this video in amazement as I watched these Chinese believers as they prized this crate open and as the, the top of the lid came off of the crate they just rushed the crate and were reaching across each other and reaching in and grabbing a bible and as they pulled that copy of the word of god out into their hands i watched these chinese believers as they held their hands up in praise thanking god that they finally had a copy of the word of god and they begin to kiss those bibles and hug those bibles and just shout and rejoice because they finally had a copy of the word of god you know what I'd say tonight in my house, in my study, in the place where I keep my Bibles? I probably have no less than 10 or 12 Bibles in there tonight. And you're probably the same. You probably have more than one copy. And you know what? If we're not careful, we'll, we'll take advantage of that, man. And we'll just, I, I'll, I'll see people who throw the copy of the Word of God in the back windshield of their car. And I tell you what, we are a blessed people to have a copy of the preserved Word of God. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16 that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works we have been given not only listen we've not only been given just basic instructions before leaving earth but we have been given the very breath of God the Bible says in John chapter number 17 and verse 17 Jesus in his uh, great prayer there his high priestly prayer Jesus said sanctify them through thy truth thy word is truth I'm telling you we are a blessed people tonight to have a copy of the word of God now, I love the fact that we have the opportunity to search the Scriptures. Jesus said in John 5, 39, Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And I hope that every day of your life you take a little time to dive into the Word of God and spend some time in His Word. 
If I were to take a survey tonight and ask, uh, see what your favorite book of the Bible is, I'm sure we'd get a, a lot of different answers to that question. Uh, to that question, no doubt. But, you know, for me, I don't know about you. For me, it seems to be that the book of the Bible that I'm studying at that, per- at that particular time happens to be my favorite book of the Bible. And I just recently did a study through the book of Acts. Boy, what a powerful book this is. And I'm telling you, I love to read from the book of Acts. You say, Brother Zach, why do you love the book of Acts? I love the book of Acts five reasons, very quickly by way of introduction. I love the book of Acts because of the people. You think about the people in the book, the book of Acts. It starts off with men like Peter. Who was Peter? Peter was not some kind of a, uh, some kind of a eloquent man per se. Peter was simply a fisherman. He was a simple man who Jesus Christ handpicked to use, uh, to be one of the founders of the, the church there in the book of Acts. It's an amazing thing when you read about men like John and men like Stephen and Philip and men like Paul and Barnabas and Silas. What an awesome book. It talks about a number of people. But then I love the book of Acts because of it. It's a book about power. This is the significance of the book of Acts. It's not merely activity. But it is a book that, is, uh, that tells us, gives us a historical narrative of the activity of people who are being empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. It's a book about people, a book about power. I like this. It's a book about progress. From Acts chapter number 2 to chapter number 28, we see the progression of a building process. God, through His choice servants, the apostles, is building a church for His glory. And I love starting out in Acts chapter number 1 and working your way through. And you see the people, and you see the power, and you see the progress. But you know what I thought about this number 4? The book of Acts is a book about problems. And this is, I like this because this shows us that this is a realistic account. Luke doesn't leave out any of the messy details here as he's writing to Theophilus. He's writing this historical narrative about the beginning of the the acts of the apostles. And now he begins to share not only about the people and not only about the power and not only about the progress, but Luke shares with us about the problems. You know what the reality is? As we serve God, we're going to face problems along the way. But you know what I love about the book of Acts as we get into our text tonight? I love it because it's a book about perseverance. And one of my favorite things about this book is that it reveals the manifold and the sufficient grace of our God. It reminds us that no matter what problems we might face as Christians, we can persevere by the grace of our Almighty God. And as we come to Acts chapter 17, we're jumping right into the middle of the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. If you were to go back and read the context, you of course understand that the Apostle Paul used to be called Saul. He was a fierce persecutor of the church, a man who hated uh, Jesus, who, a man who hated Christians. In fact, the Bible tells us of Saul that he would drag men and women, men and women to prison if they named the name of Christ. The, uh, the, uh, this man named Saul, who would later be called the Apostle Paul, used to be be a man who held the coats of those who stoned the deacon Stephen. But in Acts chapter number 9, we read about Saul's conversion, about how God miraculously changes the life of this man and chooses him out to, to use him for his glory. We read in Acts chapter 13 and verse number 14 about the first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul and, and also a man by the name of Barnabas and how they go through and they establish numerous churches in different areas. But now we are coming to Paul's second missionary journey. That's where Acts chapter 17 is. And Paul has, uh, of course, when he and Silas left out to go on this second missionary journey, God redirects their path. 
They thought they were going to go through and kind of reconfirm or reestablish these believers in these churches that they had begun. But God had different plans. And God said, I want you to go to a place called Macedonia, a region called Macedonia. Paul comes in verse chapter 16, chapter number 16 of the book of Acts. Paul goes into a place called Philippi. Now Paul has went through that experience. And now in chapter 17, he's coming to a place called Thessalonica. This is where we pick up our text tonight. The first thing I want you to notice tonight in this text, Acts chapter 17, we see number one, a repeated custom. I want you to look at your Bibles with me and look at the Bible here. The Bible says in verse number one of Acts 17, Now when they, Paul and Silas, had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And notice this next part, And Paul, as his manner was. As I was studying this, boy, that word jumped off the page, and I began to study out this word manner. What, is it, what does it mean when it says, as his manner was? Well, the word manner means a habitual practice. It means the usual way of acting in a given circumstance. It means a characteristic. It means a habit. It means a practice, a procedure. Paul, as his manner was. Paul, as his practice was. Paul, as his routine was. It was just second nature for the Apostle Paul. Your manner is your default action. It is standard operating procedure. It is just what you do, almost without even thinking about it. You know, I think we can relate to this. Some of you probably, well, tomorrow morning you'll wake up early in the morning. No doubt that alarm clock will go off. And if you're like me, you'll probably hit the snooze button once or twice, right? And, uh, and then you'll get up and you'll begin your morning routine. And I remember back before we started our deputation when I was working a full-time job. I mean, I had a morning routine and pretty much every morning that's what I did without fail. And I could just about get up and take a shower and brush my teeth and, and do all the things that are uh, uh, associated with my morning routine and just about not even wake up. You know, it's like halfway through the morning, you get halfway to work and you kind of snap too. And you're like, wow, I don't even remember, remember what I did, what I've done because I've just been doing this so much. That's what the Bible's talking about here. Paul, as his manner was, Paul, as his routine was, as his custom was, the Bible says he went in under them. Verse number two, I want, I want to talk to you quickly about Paul's manner. Why don't you write this down? This will help you, man. God gave me this, and I think it will be a blessing to you. What was Paul's manner? I'm going to give it to you in, a, in an acrostic form. M-A-N-N-E-R. Very quickly. What was Paul's manner? Letter M. Paul's manner was to meet people. Look at Acts chapter 17 and verse number 2. And Paul, as his manner was, what did he do? He went in unto them. Paul's manner was to meet people. Paul wasn't interested in a type of Christianity that was isolated from those who were lost. When he made it to a new area, Paul was always looking for opportunities to impact those people with the gospel. Well, I tell you what, that's what we need in our churches in 2016. Paul, uh, Paul had a manner here. Paul had a custom. Paul had a, a, a normal way of acting. And it was like this. If Paul got into a new area, he would go in and he would meet with people. But then, letter A, Paul would ask and answer questions. Look at what the Bible says in verse number 2. And Paul, as, as, as his manner was, went in unto them. And three Sabbath days, look what he did, reasoned with them. The Bible, said, the, the Bible uses the word reasoned here. It's the same word that we use for the word dialogue. It means to converse. It means to have discourse with another person. It means to discuss. Paul would go in under these people and 
He would begin to ask them questions pertaining to Jesus Christ. And he would begin to answer their questions. And I put this in my notes that in this, uh, in the context of our culture, people have legitimate questions about Christianity. And we must be willing to honestly and openly discuss those questions. The Bible even tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Paul would meet people. Paul would ask and answer their questions. Then you know what Paul would do? Letter in, he would navigate the scriptures. Look what it says. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them. How? Out of the Scriptures. You know, the Bible says in Romans 10, 17, So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Paul wouldn't simply just dialogue with these people. But at the end of the day, you know what Paul would do? Paul wanted to talk to them about what the Word of God had to say about Jesus Christ. And you know what? That's what people need. That's when we go out and witness to people, they don't need to hear our 17 reasons why we personally believe that Jesus was the Christ. They need us to navigate the scriptures. They need us to get the word of God out and show them why we believe what we believe. Paul would meet people. He would ask and answer their questions. He would navigate the scriptures. The next letter in, he would narrow the message. Boy, I like this. The Bible says he reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging. Look at verse 3. Opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. Paul would meet people. Paul would ask and answer their questions. Paul would uh, navigate the scriptures. But you know what Paul would do? He would narrow the message. At the end of the day, he would get back down to the main message. And that main message was the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the apostle Paul would later write in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first and also to the Greeks. I'm just telling you, boy, we need to adopt Paul's manner, don't we? We need to meet people. We need to ask and answer their questions. We need to navigate the scriptures. We need to narrow the message, letter E. We need to expect a response. Look what the Bible says in verse 4. And some of them believed. Not that exciting. I mean, think about it. Paul has went in and he's met these people. He's asked and he's answered their questions. He's navigated the scriptures. He's narrowed the message. You know what happens? People respond. I mean, it's an interesting thing, Pastor. I was studying and reading some commentaries as I was preparing this message. And I read a commentary, a a commentator who said that you'll never read of a place in scripture where Paul preached the gospel and somebody did not respond. Paul expected a response. But then you know what Paul would do? I like this, letter R. Paul would repeat the process. You know, notice what it says there in verse number two. It says, Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them. Look what it says. And three Sabbath days. You know what that tells me? For three weeks, Paul went in and preached the gospel to these people. And the Bible doesn't clearly tell us when these people believed. In my own personal opinion, I believe that there may may have been some who believed on that first week, but there were some who didn't believe. And so you know what Paul said? I'm not going to give up after that first time. I'm going to go back and I'm going to preach the gospel again. I'm going to go meet those people. I'm going to ask and answer their questions. I'm going to navigate the scriptures. I'm going to narrow the message and I'm going to expect the response. But you know what? If they don't listen, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to repeat the process. Boy, ain't that the manner that we need in our life? 
We need some people at Solid Rock Baptist Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina, who tomorrow morning when you wake up, you'll not only have a morning routine that you normally go through for work, you'll not only have a routine that you go through this week, but you'll adopt the Apostle Paul's manner and say, you know what, this week I'm going to meet some people. I'm going to ask and answer their questions. I'm going to navigate the Scriptures. I'm going to narrow the message. I'm going to expect a response. But if they don't respond, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to repeat the process. I like to see this as we, as we think here about this repeated custom. But let's notice number two, the recurring challenge. Look at verse number five. Here the Bible tells us in the context that these people have responded. In fact, it says that some believed. And then it says that of the, of the Greeks, a great multitude and of the chief women, not a few. But would you look at verse number five? What a great time of revival. But look at verse number five. What's the first word? But. Don't you hate that? I wish it was all good news. I wish it was all just kind of like, you know, just, uh, you know, hunky-dory. And, and just Paul was just having a great time and having a great harvest. And, man, things were just awesome. And things were, but then the Bible says, but. What happened? The Bible says, but the Jews which believed not moved with envy. Took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. Verse 5. And the Bible says, they gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar. And assaulted the house of Jason. And sought to bring them out to the people. Think about this. The Apostle Paul was not committing any lewd crime. The Apostle Paul was not doing anything that was just way off base. Paul was just simply preaching the gospel. And you know what? People got upset about it. And people began to, the Bible says that these Jews began to stir up the people. And the Bible says that they began to set the city on an uproar. The Bible says in verse 6, And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren under the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received. And these all do contrary to, to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one, Jesus. Verse 8, And they troubled the people. And the rulers of the city, when they heard these things, and when they had taken security of Jason and the other, they let them go. Look at verse number 10. you got to get this. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea. Now think about that. Don't forget about Paul's repeated custom. He's just preached the gospel and people have gotten saved. And there's nothing more exciting in the Christian life than watching somebody, uh, somebody else pass from death to life. I'm sure Paul wanted to go back to these people and disciple them and encourage them in the faith. But you know what happens? We see here a recurring challenge. The Bible says that Paul faces the challenge here of the Jews. And it was so intense that Paul is forced to leave the city of Thessalonica and go to a place called Berea. I wonder what Paul's going to do in Berea. Let's look at it. Verse number 11. The Bible says uh, that these were more noble than uh, those in Thessalonica and that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed. Here we go again. Paul has went in and he's repeated his manner. He's repeated his custom and people get saved. The Bible says that some of them believed. Many of them believed. Also, of the honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men, not a few. Look at verse 13. Here we go again. Look at the word. Verse 13. First word, but. Paul goes into, Paul goes into Thessalonica, preaches the gospel. The city gets on an uproar through, through the Jews. And now Paul goes to the next city of Berea, repeats his manner. And the Bible says, people get saved. It's exciting. But what happens? Actually, the Bible tells us that the Jews from Thessalonica found out that Paul was preaching the gospel in Berea. So what did they do? They left Thessalonica. They came to Berea. What did they do? The same thing. Set the city on an uproar. Got the people stirred up. Look what it says there. 
in verse number 13, when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached to Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. Look at verse 14 and look what happens. And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go as it were to the sea, but Silas and Timothy abode there still. This time it was so intense that the Bible says that Paul is forced to board a ship. And now Paul is going to go to a city called Athens. But you know what? He's separated from his comrades in ministry. He's separated from Silas and he's separated from Timothy. I don't know about you, preacher, but as I was just trying to bathe in this text a little bit and really put myself in Paul's shoes, I really believe Paul was facing some discouraging times. Think of how encouraging it must have been for people to be saved. and Paul must have been experiencing the excitement of those salvations, but then he's forced out of the city. But Paul doesn't get down too bad. He goes into Berea, preaches the gospel. He meets people. He asks and answers their questions. He navigates the scriptures. He narrows the message. He expects a response. He repeats the process. And people get saved. And it's exciting times in Berea. But the challenge comes back. And now Paul, listen, think about this. Put yourself in Paul's shoes. Paul is on a boat, not with Paul, uh, Silas, not with Timothy. Paul is on a boat by himself, sailing away from all these new converts, sailing away from the victories. And I believe Paul is facing some discouragement. You say, Brother Zach, why do you believe that? Look what the Bible says in verse 16. Remember now Paul's custom. Then we saw the challenge. And what does Paul do? When he gets to Athens, look what it says. Verse 15, And they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens, and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus, for to come to him with all speed, they departed... Look what Paul does in 16. Now, while Paul waited. You know what's interesting, Pastor? I went back and studied every time that Paul went into a new city. And you know what? His manner was consistent. He would go into the synagogue, he'd preach the gospel. He'd go to the next city, go into the synagogue, preach the gospel. Next city, go into the synagogue, preach the gospel. But you know what? When he comes to Athens, the Bible doesn't say that he does that. In fact, the Bible says in verse number 16 that Paul, when he gets to Athens, he waits. Now, while Paul waited. So we see, the, the, we see the, here the, the repeated custom and we see the recurring challenge. But I'm excited to get to this point tonight, the last point tonight, and we'll be done. We see the renewed concern. Again, don't miss the story. Paul is discouraged. Paul has just taken a voyage to the city of Athens by himself. And when he gets here, he just waits. I feel the discouragement that the text is telling us about here. I feel that Paul is discouraging, uh, discouraged. But what happens? Look at verse 16. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, look what happens. His spirit was stirred. Here we see the renewed concern. Here we see a man who, who's passionate about the gospel, but he's going through a little discouraging period. He's going through a little disappointing time. He's facing some struggles in his life. And we see here that, we, that he, his concern for the lost is renewed. Now notice that this concern was spiritual. Look at what it says. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred. The word spirit here is the Greek word pneuma. It's the same word that is used to refer to the Holy Spirit. The burden here, the concern, this concern that we read about was not manufactured by himself. It was not manufactured by someone else. But this concern for this city was conceived within. Think about this. Uh, It was conceived in his heart by the Holy Spirit of God. This concern was spiritual, but notice this, this concern was stirring. 
Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was, look at this word, stirred. The word stirred here means to be provoked. It means to be stimulated. And this is what I put in my notes. And I want everybody to listen to me tonight. The Bible says uh, here that his spirit was stirred. And I want to say as the Holy Spirit manufactures a burden in our hearts, we will be stirred. That is, we will be provoked. We will be moved uh, to minister. We will be provoked to provision. A genuine stirring of the Holy Spirit will not allow for any other response but service. You know what we need tonight in Granite Falls, North Carolina? We need some people with a renewed concern. We need some people who will be stirred by the Spirit. This concern was spiritual. This concern was stirring. This concern, lastly, was stimulated. Look what the Bible says. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, look at this. His spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Pastor, I love this part. Because this reveals to us the location of Paul. He was close enough to the city to see the city's condition. And I want to say this tonight, and I want everybody to listen to me. We will not be burdened until we open our eyes to the condition of those around us. Paul wasn't in some type of a religious bubble trying not to be contaminated by those who were not like him. But Paul began looking for opportunities to impact his world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And don't get me wrong. I understand as we look around at the political climate of our world, it's discouraging. And I understand as we look around at the moral climate of our world, it's it's discouraging. But I want to say something. It ought to renew our concern within us that we need our spirits to be stirred for the lost. That's what we need. That's how we're going to make a difference in 2016. Let's do away with this discouraging religion that just says we're holding on until the rapture. And let's walk out of this building tonight with spirits that are stirred to go tell somebody about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, that's what we need. We need some, some people in here tonight who maybe you walked in here a little bit discouraged. Maybe it's been a long time since you took some gospel tracts with you uh, to work. Maybe it's been a long time since you shared the gospel with one of your family members. But maybe tonight the Holy Spirit of God would stir in your heart and you would be renewed in your burden for the lost. I want, this is the last thing I want you to look at. It's a verse, verse number 17. What happened? This is the question, right? Paul's spirit was stirred within him. In Athens, and what did Paul do? Come on now, look at verse 17. Therefore, disputed he in the synagogues with the Jews. You know what's amazing, Pastor? The word disputed is the exact same Greek word as reasoned. Back in verse number 2. Paul's spirit was stirred, and he disputed in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons, and in the market daily with them that met with We won't take the time tonight, but you read the rest of the chapter, and you know what? Some people get saved. Paul's spirit is stirred, and you know what he does? Gets right back to his manner. Meet people. Ask and answer their questions. Navigate the scriptures. Narrow the message to the gospel. Expect a response. And repeat the process. How's your burden for souls tonight? I don't know how you guys do it on a Sunday night. I'm getting ready to hand this over to the pastor. But before you leave tonight, maybe you ought to find a place at this altar and say, God... Stir my spirit. Lord, I I haven't been stirred in a long time. And pastor, this has been my burden. This has been my heart and my prayer over the past few weeks. Lord, stir my spirit for souls.
We have a lost world that's outside of those doors. But we won't reach them until we get stirred by the Holy Spirit of God to reach the lost. Let's bow our heads tonight.